It's uh, Father's Day, and I prepared a uh, special message for us fathers on anger. Is that appropriate enough? And, uh, and some of you are going, is he serious? Yeah, I am. We're in a series called The Battle Within that we have been looking at for the last month, and we're taking a look at some of the things we all battle with on, on our insides. So we've taken a look at things like disappointment, fear, shame. Last week we looked at depression, and today we're going to look at this idea of anger. And I, I did. I planned it on Father's Day because you know we're not here to get down on fathers at all. We're here to help us become the best men that we can be. And as you'll hear in just a minute, God uh, got me in a headlock about 20 years ago when it came to my anger. And I'm going to share with you some of the things that His Word has helped me with over the years that have been just incredibly or just very indispensable in my walk with Him. And my relationships around me. And, and ladies, gals, it's going to be helpful for you too because all of us struggle with anger. And so this is not just a men's message, it's for all of us, but I, I did plan it on, on Father's Day. So uh, why don't you guys bow with me right now? We'll pray and we'll dive right in. God, I thank you for uh, this day that we set aside in our culture to give a special shout out to dads and to thank them for being the, uh, the men that they are in our lives. And I, and I pray, God, that as we give a gift to them now by opening up your word and, and talking about something we all battle with, this idea of anger, God, I pray you help us uh, to find help and healing and, and wholeness in your word. Lord, for some of us here today, we're bound in our anger and we just can't seem to get out. So at the very least, give us hope today. Let us know that your word is designed to lift us out of the here and now and to what our lives can be as we follow and trust you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. So I really am a connoisseur of anger, and I'll tell you why. About 20 years ago, I had a defining moment with my wife, Kim, that she would tell you about that changed the trajectory of my life in many ways and how I related to Kim. At that time, we'd been married probably just about 12 or so years. I was heading into the senior pastorate, my first senior pastorate, and life was stressful. It was stressful for me throughout most of the 90s as I was an insecure young man. We had three babies real quick and, and trying to find our way in ministry. And what compounds it in ministry is that I have to be nice to all of you throughout the week. And so, you know, I can't be some angry person all week. So it came out at home. And Kim and I used to argue a lot. That's probably more on me. And one day at one of the end of our arguments back oh, about 20 years ago, she said to me as we were wrapping up, and she said, oh, and by the way, for future reference, my name is not Darnit Kim. Now, I knew what she meant. And, and just so you know, I've made this illustration G, not PG. So I actually didn't say Darnit. I said something stronger uh, that, that would go along the, the lines of the Hoover you get the idea. And, and, and I had said that to her. And, and I said to her, because I felt kind of shame that she said that to me. I said, well, I'm sorry I said that. I said, but it's not like I say it that often. And she looked at me and with a tear in her eyes, she said, you say it every time you're mad at me and you get mad at me at least once a week. A couple of weeks ago, Kevin did a message on shame. And I got to tell you, at that moment, 20 years ago, men, I felt a tremendous amount of shame and rightly so. I've said to you guys before, and I mean it, I am in love with my wife. She's been a, a deliverance figure for me in my life and my maturity. And to think that I would use that language with her and to hurt her like that just shattered me in that moment. And even more so, I realized 20 years ago that it wasn't just a slip of the tongue, but that what was coming out of me truly proceeded from my heart. 
I was angry and I was letting my anger go on the love of my life when I would get mad at her and it was also happening with the children and I had a moment in time where instead of shrinking back in shame, I said at that moment to God and to Kim, enough, I'm getting a handle on this. I'm gonna do a deep dive in my understanding of anger from a biblical perspective and my own soul. And I made a commitment to her that day that I will never say that to her again. And 20 years later, I haven't. I've said other things to her, but not that (laughs) since that time. And that was a moment in time for me. And my question is, what about you? My guess is you've also dealt with anger in your life. I think we all have. Around here at our church, we deal with anger that has ruined marriages, anger that has destroyed friendships, excuse me, anger that has alienated children, anger that has caused teenagers to rebel. You list it, we deal with it here. And so we're not immune to the fact that, that anger is a reality in our lives. And my guess is you have a story, maybe even going on right now, of anger in your life. And if you're like me at all 20 years ago, maybe you're ready to come to a point or you have come to a point where you say, enough, I need to get control of this thing. I'm tired of anger rearing its ugly head and wreaking havoc on me and those around me. And the good news is that if you can get to that point of your life, if you get to the point where you throw in the white towel and you say to God, help, he's ready to help because his word has a tremendous amount of insight and resources and help when it comes to the anger that you and I feel. In fact, check this out. 20 years ago when I said enough and started to study the Bible more thoroughly on anger, I found out, you're gonna love this, that the word anger appears over 300 times in the Bible. The Bible talks about anger a lot. God gets angry, his people get angry. Anger anger can be righteous and unrighteous. There's a lot in this book about anger. And I have read all 300 passages in depth over the years. I'm truly become a connoisseur of anger. And so we're gonna look at just one passage today that will be a great primer, a good introduction for any of us who are interested in dealing with this battle within. It's a passage that we're gonna park in front of today. It's short and it's sweet, but very profound. And we're gonna do a deep dive in it. In about 30 minutes, you're gonna understand this passage and be ready to apply it. It's found in Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, and it goes like this. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let's read it again. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, before we apply this to our lives, and we're going to, we're gonna spend about 20 minutes looking at some application of this in just a few minutes. We need to first do some, what we're gonna call exegetical legwork, some some intellectual understanding of what this passage is actually saying so that we understand it and our anger rightly. And the first thing we need to do here is define our terms. We need to understand what this passage and the Bible means when it uses the word anger. And here would be a good workable definition of anger according to a biblical perspective. And that is that anger is a physical slash emotional state of arousal or readiness for action. I know that sounds technical, but we'll make it personal here in a minute. Anger is a physical emotional state of arousal or readiness 
for action. And so don't miss this, gang. Anger is simply your bodily and emotional response to a circumstance around you or a perception or thought that you have that causes you to be in a state of readiness or preparedness for action. It's an, it's an emotion that you feel that prepares you to strike. That's anger. So, so the best example I can give you is of your dog or your cat, if you have an animal. And you know that when your dog or cat feels threatened, you ever notice this? The hair on its back stands up, and way before it's even attacked or barked or anything like that, there's this preparedness for action that you see in it. That's anger. That's what the Bible means by anger. It's an emotion that you and I have that prepares us for an upcoming action. So this is fascinating. When I did a biblical study on this years ago, shortly after my life-changing alteration with Kim, what I thought was interesting was that the original root word for one of the Greek words for anger in the Bible, you're going to love this, means to snort. It means to snort. So it pictures a pig, they had pigs back then, that, 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 that feels threatened and is getting ready to charge. And before it charges, it snorts at you. That's the word that they use for anger in the Greek. It means to snort. And that's anger. It's simply your body and emotions snorting, if you will, preparing for action. And so to be really clear, because we're going to move on here in a second, but this is important. Notice that things like yelling berating, manipulating, and even other physical responses are all actions that flow from anger, but they are not anger itself. Because it's very important you understand that anger is an emotion. It's a battle within, way before you act. That's what the Bible labels as anger. And the reason that this is obviously important is that many of you have had rival conceptions of anger. You've seen anger as aggression or verbally accosting another person. As we're going to see in a minute, those might be responses to anger. But those are not anger itself. It's an emotion, a physical, emotional state of action, of preparedness for action or arousal. Now, with this understanding, we're ready to note a second and likewise critical thing about anger, and this flows right from the first one. This is why this is all an important understanding from this passage. And the second thing is, is that anger itself is not a wrong emotion. Anger itself, by itself, is not a wrong emotion. So look at our passage and you'll see this very clearly. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. I love how the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, the, the King James Version, uh, all translate this be angry. The, the New International Version misses it. it. It translates it in your anger, do not sin. It, it literally means be angry. Why is that important? This is a quote from Psalm 4 verse 4 here in the New Testament, in which in the Hebrew, it's in the imperative tense. An imperative tense means it's a command. So it's St. Pierre. Be angry, <laughs> be angry. And then you turn to the New Testament when it's quoting this Old Testament verse here. And again, it's in the imperative tense here in the present imperative tense. It's telling us to be angry. Why would it say that? The reason is, is because it's trying to communicate, and it is, that anger is normal. It's part of our emotional makeup. And at times, you're gonna experience it and feel it. And so what we glean from this is that anger is not itself a bad emotion. It's not a wrong emotion. 
The Bible assumes that we're going to be angry at times and that it's okay to be angry at times, even as we're going to see in a minute, if it's for a wrong reason, even if it's for a bad perception you have or if you misread the other person, you're still angry. As we've seen, it's this bodily response and by itself, there's nothing sinful about it. Now, the reason that this is obviously important is that this flies in the face of how many of us have both seen anger and even taught it to our children. My dear mom is in heaven right now. She's just a wonderful, wonderful lady. And I, I loved her to death. And I was with her when she died a few years ago. And, and I can't wait to see her in, in, in glory again. But, but my mom hated anger, just like a lot of, uh, of, of refined, petite, beautiful women do. They just don't like it when, when the guys around get mad. And, and I can remember growing up, every time I would get mad, my mom would say to me, Jamie, you shouldn't feel angry. You shouldn't be that way. She'd get angry at my anger. And, 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 I, and, and, I, and I'd say to her, well, I, I, I can't really help it. And I, I didn't know what to do with that. And, and, and as much as my mom loved me and as much as, as I love her, she, she was wrong. <laughs> she was a product of her culture. And she was a product of her upbringing that somehow saw anger itself as a wrong or bad emotion to be shoved down and not experienced. And again, I, I love my mom, but as I started to deal with my own anger 20 years ago, one of the first things a kind therapist and the Bible and my friends encourage me to do is don't give up on your anger because you can't control that per se. You can control what you do with it. You can control where it comes from. But anger itself is not a wrong emotion. And yet it's right at this point, gang, that we need to be very careful. Because when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it does make it clear, however, that it is very possible to have sin or wrongness in and around your anger. Let's look once again at our passage. It says, be angry and yet say these three words with me. Do not sin. So it's telling us right there that it's quite possible, if not, not times probable, that we're going to experience sin in the midst of our anger. Isn't that interesting? And you have to ask, well, where does that sin come from? Here's what I've found over the years. Give me another click here. I have found that when I am angry, and again, anger is just an emotional response to the things around me, and it's not itself a wrong emotion. What I have found, however, is that what comes before the anger... <laughs> And that also my choices of what I'm going to do with the anger, what comes after it, that's where I can get into trouble. Amen? So what led to the anger and what comes after the anger, these are the things that I can control and look at, and that's where the battle needs to be fought. So what do I mean by this? Well, think about it. Your perceptions that led to you being angry and the circumstances around you, what other people do to you or what happens around you, those things very quickly can lead to anger. But what about when you have a faulty perception? What about when you've misread a person or the situation around you, which by the way is on you? <laughs> is that right or wrong? Well, it's wrong. And again, you and I gotta own that. That's part of processing anger. So I, I mentioned Pierre earlier. Imagine if Pierre comes to me after today's message and says something about the message that I perceive was unfair and judgmental. Pierre, you'd never do that, but just go with us on this. And, 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 and I go home this afternoon and I'm thinking about Pierre and, 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 and I'm thinking, you know, that was just so unfair what he said to me and da, 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 da. And so I, I call up his mom, a man, and I say, you know, what's going on here? What's wrong with your son? And she goes, oh, no, no, Jamie. You don't understand. 
He, he didn't mean to say that at all. You, you misheard what he said. Has that ever happened to any of you guys where you've misheard what somebody said all the time? So again, think about this with me. This is very important. We're going to put this together in a minute. The anger was not wrong because what he said to me should have been hurtful. <laughs> what was wrong is that I misheard him. I misunderstood. And, and so the sin, if you will, was in my perception or the circumstance. Conversely, imagine if I go home and based on what Pierre said to me, I sat there all afternoon. I wouldn't do this because I'm a pastor, but just imagine if I sat there all afternoon and just thought, oh, I can't believe Pierre said that and he's such a jerk and I really don't like him and, da, 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 and, and I just sort of cursed him in mind. I know none of you have ever done that, but just go with me on it. You sort of curse somebody in their mind. Well, again, that's sinful because you're not really dealing with your anger and you're cursing another brother and Jesus talked about not doing that a lot. And, and so what you do with your anger can be sinful. But again, we're gonna move on right now. The anger itself is not the culprit. Why? Because anger is not a wrong emotion. It's what you do with it. So we're gonna accelerate in 30 seconds, but let's review. Two key things we need to understand about our anger from Ephesians 4. First, anger is simply an emotion of arousal or preparedness for action. And secondly, it in itself is not a wrong emotion. However, the perceptions and circumstances that come before it, what comes after it can certainly be sinful and messy. Now, with this understanding in tow, we're ready to ask, well, then what do we do with our anger? How should we handle it? Three things I want to share with you in about the 20 minutes we have left. Three things that I've found over the years that are both biblical and great applications of Ephesians 4.26 that allow you and me to battle well. And I don't always say this, but I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to say this very boldly, these three things work because these are not just things that I studied in the Bible this week and said, well, they must work. They're found in the Bible. No, these are things that I have found over the years being a connoisseur of anger. And, and as I've studied these things and then applied them in multiple settings, I'm telling you, these things have taken the edge off my anger. Can't you tell? It really has. And so uh, here's the first thing that, that it shares with us. And that is to slow down and identify the primary emotion or emotions. Slow down and identify the primary emotion. You're saying, well, what do you mean by this? Folks, what many authors suggest and what seems to be the biblical reality is that this emotion of anger, now watch this, is not the primary or first thing you feel based on that circumstance or perception that you had. Rather, it's a secondary emotion that was on the coattails of something you felt first. And what many have suggested is that the initial or primary emotion that we feel in response to a situation or a thought we have is almost always a combination of one of four emotions. You're gonna like this. And that is that you initially either felt hurt, fear, frustration, or disappointment. You're gonna to wanna to memorize those emotions. So let me say them again. The primary emotion you almost surely felt first before you felt your anger was hurt, fear, frustration, or disappointment. And it was from these primary emotions that your anger flowed. 
And so here's how this works. Let's just see it up here in sort of a, a conceptual form. Here's how most of us experience anger. We have an event happen to us. Somebody does something to us or something in the world happens around us. Or we have a perception. We think a various thought about others or our own lives. And immediately we feel anger. In other words, the event and perception is married immediately to what we feel in that moment, and that is anger. And that is why the vast majority of us, when we're angry, and you all do this, look at that person, and let's pick on my friend Pierre again, and we say, Pierre, what you said to me today, that made me angry. Or you made me angry. Have you ever said to somebody, that or you made me angry? We all do that. An event happens, a perception occurs, and we say that or you made me angry. And here's what I'm telling you today. Technically speaking, that's not true. You bypassed certain emotions that you felt first that the Bible affirms and that you need to slow down, look inside, be a man, be a woman, look inside and ask yourself, what did I feel first before I felt the anger? Because here's how that works. And that is you have an event or a perception. You had a primary emotion. Again, hurt, fear, frustration, or disappointment. And it was that primary emotion that you bypassed so quickly. And now you're angry. And you're never going to deal with your anger without first slowing down and getting in touch with the primary emotion. I can remember years ago when this was first shared with me. I'm like you, some of you right now. You're processing, you're going, ah, I don't know if that's true. What you need to do this week is just audit your, your life. Just audit it. Next time you get mad, which is probably going to be today. So later today when you get mad, uh, just ask yourself, slow down that moment and say, before I felt anger, could it have been possible that I felt hurt, fear, frustration, or disappointment? And dimes to dollars you did. I can remember the first times I experienced this. It was shortly after I was discovering all this stuff. And again, my wife's been so helpful to me. I, was a, I had a pattern in my life that she also pinpointed. <laughs> my wife's prophetic. And, uh, and, and that was when the kids were real young and we lived on this big plot of land outside of Cleveland there. Every time one of them would get hurt, which again was often because we lived on a couple of acres or building tree forts and all this other stuff. When one of them get hurt and come screaming into the house, my first response was to get mad. Some of you men can relate to that. In other words, one of the kids would come in screaming and my wife, who's a nurturer, would be going over to help them. I'd be going, what's going on? What happened? Who did what? And I'm all angry. My wife, who's such a godly woman, she'd look at me and go, what is wrong with you? You know, why are you getting mad? The child is hurt and you're over there getting angry. This isn't helping this situation. And I remember when it really happened one day, Paul was climbing a tree and he fell out of the tree. And when he fell, he hit his arm and he broke his arm. It was really scary. He broke it in two and it had moved over and up. You could see it through the skin. And of course, the kid is screaming, you know, he's seven years old, and, and I did my manly thing, man. I mean, I ran over to him, and I picked him up, and I was like, the kid is hurt! Get the minivan, you know, and we get the By the way, minivan is these odd-shaped vehicles that we had back then, and so we opened the door of the minivan, and we, I put Paul in there, and I get in the driver's seat, and Kim's there, and I'm, and I'm driving to the hospital, and, there, and, and there's a construction zone, kid you not. And so I'm stopped in traffic and my kid's screaming. And so I, I'm pulling around on, the, on the, the side of the road and I'm going down the side of the road and a policeman stops us. 
And again, I yelled at the policeman because he, 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 I rolled down my window and I said, I got like her kid in here, see his arm, you gotta let us go. And he looked at me like Kim did. He said, stop yelling, it's okay. He said, drive on. And that was my response to so many situations when the kids would get hurt. And after as I started looking into this more and slowing down, it all became obvious to me. Let's filter it through right now. What were those four emotions I asked you to filter through? Hurt, fear, frustration, or disappointment. What do you think I was feeling in that moment? Fear. I, I realized it was actually two emotions, fear and frustration. I was so afraid because I'm supposed to be in control here and I wasn't in control. And I had this fear well up in me, but I didn't want to honor the fear. I didn't want to focus on the fear. So I went right to anger. And then I was frustrated. I was frustrated because, you know, my day is ruined and, and the kid is hurt and I'm selfish and all this. And so I'm, I'm frustrated in my spirit. And, and again, here's what happens. If you collapse the event and bypass the primary emotions, you will experience anger because you're not honoring what's in your soul. And I cannot tell you how many times this has happened to me and how liberating it's been. I do it all the time now. As you guys can tell, I'm a passionate guy, so I still get angry. And yet when I get angry here, I slow down. Kim calls it my pout period. So I, I slow down and I, and I get alone and, and I take a look inside and I simply ask myself, men, you can do this. What am I feeling hurt, fearful, frustrated, or disappointed in? And almost without miss, I can identify something. And already my anger is diminishing. It really works because I'm dealing with the primary emotion. Now, it's not magical. That's only the first step. So there is a second thing that the Bible affirms, and that is that once you get in touch with your primary emotion, because it's important you do that, then do this. Bring your anger and all else to God. Bring your anger and all else to God. And I love how some of you spiritual guys are thinking. You're thinking right now, well, Jamie, shouldn't this be the first thing you do? I'm not sure it is. Here's why. Until you identify what you're really feeling, <laughs> what is it that you're bringing to God? You see, I got saved in 1981. And I was angry in 81. I was angry the day I was born in 64. I'm a guy. And, and, and so, you know, for the first 17 years of my life, I was angry. And then I got saved and I'm still angry. But I knew because I read this passage. Look at this passage here, 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. So I thought, okay, God, I'm going to cast my anger on you. So from 1981 until about 1999, until that event with Kim, I would cast my anger on God all the time because he can take it. He's God and he loves me and he loves you. And so I thought when I'm angry, I'm just gonna cast on him. The problem is I was still angry. Like I come away from my quiet time feeling all peaceful and within like three seconds, I'm angry again. Any of you can relate? And I realized that, that, that once I started to get in touch with these primary emotions, hurt, fear, frustration, disappointment. And by the way, I've added a ton of them over the years, sadness. So many other things that we feel, I started bringing those to God. And when it says, cast all your anxieties upon him, I love that, that verse. The word anxieties there in the Greek literally means all of your cares and your worries. It's the same word Paul used in Corinthians when he talked about how he had all these concerns and worries for these churches that he had started. 
It's the same word that Jesus used in the parable of the soils. When he said that there's some seed that fell on the ground, took root, grew up, but it started to get choked out by the worries and cares of the world. Same word used here in 1 Peter 5, 7. And so again, what God wants us to do is take all those carries and worries we, or those cares and worries that we have. Again, the fear, the hurt, the frustration, the disappointment and everything else and cast it upon him. I don't know about you, but my prayer life is exciting. It really is. And the reason my prayer life is exciting is because I don't just praise God and ask him for things, though I do that stuff, but I cast my cares on him. I talk to him about you guys all the time. And I talk to him about those that bother me and those that have hurt me. And I unload, if you will, on God. Why? Because he's asked me to. And all I know is that in combination with identifying the primary emotion and then drawing close to God, boy, it does something to my spirit that just takes the anger level down. Saw a beautiful picture of this right after I started uh, uh, discovering this stuff about 20 years ago. I was in my first pastor, my first senior pastorate, and church was going great. It was growing. It was stressful, but it was growing, and we built a brand new building, and we had a big stage like this, and, uh, and we had developed more of a contemporary form of worship, you know, and so we had these frontline singers. And I'll never forget one morning, uh, I was coming to church early. I was always the first guy there, and I, uh, I walked in, and as the frontline singers started to come in, one of them was by the name of Sherry, and uh, Sherry came in, and she had her, her little four-year-old girl with her. I think her name was Andrea. And, uh, and, and I could just tell Andrea was not having a good morning. She had her thumb in her mouth. She had a blankie, and she had the most poutiest look on her. And I thought, kid, I can relate. You know, so I, 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 I knew Andrea, and, and I could almost fill in the gaps. Sherry and Mark lived out in the country, and they had a lot of kids. And my guess is that Sherry's trying to get ready to come to church. Mark was going to come after her, and, and that they're heading out of the house, and, and Andrea's throwing a fit. And so Sherry said, Mark, I'll take her, and I'll meet you at church. I could almost fill in all the gaps in that. And so, you know, we got to the first service and, and Andrea's sitting in the front row, this little four-year-old, sucking her thumb and just looking as mean as she could. And, and I was very upset. And uh, I could tell Sherry said to her, just stay there, stay there. I got to go worship God. And, uh, and, and, and Sherry got up on the stage with, with all the other singers and, and she started to lead us in worship. And what happened next, I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Because what happened next is that this little four-year-old, as innocent as innocent could be, stood up. I watched her, I'm sitting right over there and she stands up and she walks to the side of the stage like ours and she walks up on the stage in front of everybody, carrying a little blanket with her thumb in her mouth, pouty look, and she walks over to her mom <laughs> and she just stands right next to her mom. And she stands there looking at all of us and, I, and you could tell the only thing she wanted was to be close to her mom in that moment. She just wanted to be with her mom. And she didn't care about the rest of us. She didn't care that we were singing songs. She didn't care about any of that. All she cared about was being close to her mom. Sherry did the right thing. She kept leading us in worship. And for three songs, there was little Andrea and Sherry uh, sing, uh, leading us in worship. After the service, Sherry came up to me and, and said, you know, started to apologize. She said, stop right there. I said, can you do it again in the second service? <laughs> I said, because that was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. I said, your little girl, she needed you in that moment. And nothing was going to stop her. Nothing was going to stop her in her anger, in her hurt from being next to her mom. And I said, and that's exactly what God wants from us. And I said, what a beautiful picture to lead us in worship with. 
And every time now I'm angry, and it's often, every time I'm dealing with my own stuff, I think I wanna be like that little girl. And I don't care who's watching, I don't care who sees. I wanna get close to my God. I wanna get close to my Father because he wants me next to him, pouting or not. Bring your anger and all else to God. Why do you think he's there? So, anger, this emotion, is not wrong. But when you have it, get back to the primary emotion, bring it to God, and then third, and this really is third, because these are all in order. At this point, you're ready now to appropriately communicate your anger to whoever has angered you. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this third step in dealing with anger, and some of you are gonna really like this, and that is that once you have done the first two things, let's review, the first two things are that you slowed down and identified the primary emotion, and then the second thing, you've taken it to God and unloaded on him. Here's what you find. Sometimes when you've done those first two things, you don't have to do the third thing. It really works that way. In other words, when you've slowed down and identified what you're really feeling and then taken this to God and pulled a 1 Peter 5, 7 and cast your anxiety upon him, you find that your anger is dealt with and you don't need to bother the person who angered you. So again, I go back to Pierre. If I misunderstand what Pierre says and a man says, hey, you just misunderstood him, you know, and I take it to God. I say, God, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I heard that wrong. Do I need to call Pierre and tell him all that? Yes or no? No because he didn't know I was mad in the first place. <laughs> and as my wife would say, no pain, no pain. So hey, we're okay with all of that. But there are some times where even after you've understood what you're feeling, taken it to God, that it doesn't leave you. And it's at that point that God says, you gotta go. And you gotta reconcile with your brother or sister. You gotta communicate it as best you can. How do we know that? One last look at our passage, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and yet do not sin. And then it says, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, the biggest things that theologians battle with with this passage, I think it's hilarious. They argue about whether it's literal or not. Like, is it figurative? Like, don't let the figurative sun go down on your anger, which means you got a month or two in order to hold on to your anger and process it? Or does it mean literally, and we get the sun here in Arizona, don't we? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Which do you think it is? Because this is Scottsdale Bible Church. Is it figurative or literal? It's literal. I really believe that. I think it's basically saying you got about 12 hours to deal with it. That's only if it happens at nine in the morning. So the reality is, is that when somebody has ticked you off, slow down, understand the primary emotion. I can do this in the moment now. If you tick me off, I'll know exactly why within about three seconds. I've been doing this so long, you wouldn't, but you know what I mean. And, and, and then I take it to God and I unload on him. And then if it's still with me, the Bible says you gotta go. And again, I do this all the time. And the key is to communicate appropriately. That's the key word. In other words, if I go and bash the person over the head with how mad they made me, how's that gonna go? Not very well. But here's, the, here's, the, here's your ace in the hole. If you've actually gotten in touch with the primary emotion and you've actually processed it a bit with God, who says to you, let it go and forgive, you're in a much better place to communicate that anger appropriately. 
In fact, here's what I found, is that when I've done that, I use more I language than you language. Again, last time I'll pick on Pierre. <laughs> if Pierre did tick me off and I had to go to him, imagine if I said, you know what, Pierre, you said this to me and you made me really mad and I can't believe you did that. How many times did I use the word you there? A lot. No one responds well to that, even if they're in the wrong. But conversely, if I said to Pierre, hey, you know, brother, you know I love you and, uh, and I know you love me. And, uh, you know, we were talking the other day. I, I heard you say this. And, 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 and I felt this when, when, when I heard you say that. And, and again, maybe I, I heard you wrong, but gosh, it just felt hurtful to my spirit. And, and, and so I thought out of my love for you that I'd need to come to you and, and just talk it through with you. Now, now, is that different than me using the you language a lot? You see, I, I, I've gotten so good at this. I just do this all the time. I know that if I'm gonna communicate my anger or hurt to somebody, I know that they're gonna be on edge. It's human nature. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can see this coming a mile away in my life. You know, if, 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 if you know, a family member or friend says to me, hey, Jamie, I need to talk to you about something, you know, and I just gotta let you know I really love you and I care for you, but I know what's coming next, don't you? They're gonna confront me on something, and already I'm getting a little bit defensive. And so if you can communicate it appropriately, it stands the best chance of a brother or sister or loved one hearing you. And again, relationships are worth reconciling. Here's the worst that can happen. People always say to me, well, I know they're not gonna listen. You know, I love when people say to me, I know they're not going to listen. I go, really? So you're a prophet? Like, you know, you've looked into Ford in a time and you know that they're not gonna listen. You know that God's not gonna be involved in this. You know that he's not gonna do anything. You know that he can't prepare their heart to hear you. Well, no, I really don't mean that, Jimmy. So you don't know, you just don't wanna trust God. But when you actually do trust God, that maybe he'll upstream this, because I pray all the time before I go to communicate my anger with anybody, many times he does prepare them for it. And worst case scenario is that they won't hear you. That's the worst that'll happen. And again, it happens to me too. My mom was really good at that. I would try to confront my mom on something once in a while about how she made me feel. And you know, I'd say, mom, no, no, no. And she would say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, Jamie. And I was like, well, that makes me angry. You know, and so I'm... <laughs> But that's the worst that can happen to you. The worst that can happen to you is that they won't hear you. But here's the thing. And again, do you want to be a biblical Christian? Yes or no? In the book of Romans, it says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I love that verse. It's so freeing. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I can't be at peace with everybody. <laughs> if pastoring a church hasn't taught me anything, it's taught me that. I can't be at peace with everybody, but I can do the as far as it depends on me part. Amen? I can sleep well at night. I can be responsible for my anger. Let's review one last time. How? By getting in touch with that primary emotion. When I feel hurt, fearful, frustrated, disappointed, I got to own that and get in touch with that before it leads to the anger and then I take that to God and I unload on him, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. I spend lots of time in my prayer closet. And then there's times where I have to communicate it appropriately to those around me. And maybe they'll listen, maybe they won't. But here's what I know. When I come out of the other end of that tunnel of chaos, not only am I intact, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about me and God and the state of my soul. You can too. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for this special day that we uh, set aside to honor our, our fathers and Lord also to talk about what it means to be a man today who handles anger and a lady as well. God, if I don't miss my guests, there are so many of us who deal with anger in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would give us great grace as we apply these things to our lives. I pray, Lord, finally and lastly, for the one who came here today or Cactus Northridge at Chapel or online that just feels hopeless here. They're tempted to say right now, but Jamie, you don't understand. I've been mired in my anger so long, there's no hope. Remind them that there is that your word would not be written to them unless it was true, and that your word never returns void once it's penetrated a mind and a heart. May, Lord, they know that today and take you at your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. amen.